Bunch. Standing up for her as she's leaving. <laughs> well, very well trained. You know, internationally renowned means it means I speak in America and Israel. <laughs> it's international. Okay. I, I want to share with you something very special tonight. Um, I never do this. But I think in Michalah we can handle this. I, I cannot never do textual when I'm speaking for an audience like this. It's not textual. I just saw like half of you go, no, just relax, it's going to be fine. It's not so tech. I just want to read four psukim. So We could do four. Yeah. We could do four. Where'd you go to school? Hazar. We could do four. <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Bisako. I don't know, Bisako, maybe not. But <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm joking. I'm joking. So actually, everyone got an amazing education. Everything's amazing in the community. Okay. I want, <laughs> I want to... Uh, my ADHD gets higher as the night gets later. Last night I spoke at 8.45 at night. It was a disaster. It was like a beautiful thing. I couldn't get a phone there. Okay. The story of Rus is an amazing story. It's really a special story. I, I learned from this year that Tanakh does not need to be dramatized. If you just read the psukim, albeit very carefully, the psukim themselves tell you an amazing story. So I'm gonna read four, maybe five psukim. Yes, I'm gonna read five psukim. Just the words. I'll show you what each word means, and then we'll pause, then we'll come back to the final pasuk. Rus begins, and the obvious question that every darshan has to ask is, what's the connection between Rus and Shavuos? You've heard this question before. If you haven't heard this question before, I question whether or not you had an excellent Beis Yaakov education. <laughs> Everyone knows that question. It's a famous question. It's a classic question. Listen to what the Megillah says. Vayihi bimei. Let's stop there. What do Chazal say vayihi bimei means? Anytime you see only five times in Tanakh, the words vayihi bimei are used. Some of you said, Mar Megillah 10b, excellent way to quote the Gemara. <laughs> Very, I see. I'm just holding in the sugyas. The uh, may means bad things are happening. What's that? What happens when it says may and then it says vayihi again in the same pasuk? Really bad. Really bad. Listen to the words may Really bad. Shvod hashoftim in the times of the shoftim. We'll discuss what that means in a moment. And then it says vayihi rav So right away, if you're a sensitive reader of the text, what do you get? You get the sense that this is not a good story. Shvod HaShoftim, this is in the times of the judges. Was that a good time for Klal Yisrael or a bad time for Klal Yisrael? Was a bad time for Klal Yisrael. A very bad time for Klal Yisrael. Why was it a bad time for Klal Yisrael? The Gemara tells us that when Yoshua ben Nun passed away, nobody mourned his death. Nobody mourned his death. Why did nobody mourn his death? Because they were in the process, this might sound familiar to you, they were in the process of building up the land of Eretz Yisrael, and they were obsessed with materialism. A little uncomfortable. Feels a little bit like our generation. And they didn't eulogize Yoshua ben Nun. They didn't mourn his passing because they were building, they were amassing stuff. This is a bad time. What do Chazal say? The Midrashim say? Why was there a famine in the land? Because of the way that they were behaving in the times of Shvod HaShoftin. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Medrash says, really, I should destroy Klal Yisrael. At the very least, I should send them back to Mitzrayim. I should trade them in for another nation. But what can I do? They're Klal Yisrael. So I'll bring a rab, I'll bring a famine, so that they'll do tshuva. 
Vayelech ish mipeis lechem Yehuda. If you don't know the story of Rus, what do you now know? A man who's anonymous. What does that tell us? If he's anonymous, it tells us his name is not worth knowing. But he comes from Beis Lechem Yehuda. What was in Beis Lechem Yehuda? That's where the Sanhedrin sat. So clearly the person we're talking about is what? A serious person. This is a leader in Klal Yisrael. If we say he's from Beis Lechem, it's like... I don't know how to say this nicely, so I'll just say it straight. You know how like we all have like different things that we hear, like if you hear like this girl's from the five towns. I'm from the five towns, I can make this joke. <laughs> I grew up in Lawrence, I think I'm better than every single person in this room. I don't want to feel that way. I have no Bahira here. That's the way I grew up. It's in my genetic Really, really, I'm a poor kid from Farakaway whose father did well when he was a teenager and moved to Lawrence. So I'm like the worst of the Lawrence people because I'm coming from a psychologically deficient place of like, I'm not enough and now I have a ton. You understand the problem here? I look at Woodmere people. Anyone here from Woodmere? I'm better than every one of you. North Woodmere for sure, and let's not talk about Eulich. So, and we all have a certain thing. You hear she's from Teaneck, she's from the Five Towns, she's from Chicago. We only think they have Romanian salami. We don't know what else is in Chicago. There, we all have, when you hear the name of a town, see, not be fun. We all hear the name of a town, and what do we think? It means something. If you hear the words Beis Lechem Yehuda and you're sensitive to the words of Tanakh, what do you hear? This is serious territory. This is noble territory. These are the dignitaries of Klal Yisrael. But there's a man, we don't know his name, and he's coming from Beis Lechem Yehuda. Lagur, what does the word Lagur mean in English? Listen to this because I had a hafter education. It means, I was expelled from hafter, I only got five years of a hafter education. That's a true story. And then I went to Darche because nobody else in the community would take me. And in those five years and hafter, I learned the word sojourn. That's what I knew. And after that, I could leave. There was nothing else for me to learn in hafter. Apparently. And so, So what do we know? It's a bad period of time. A bad thing happens. Kali Yisrael is somehow punished or turned towards Chuba by getting a famine. A man from Beis Lechev Yehuda goes to sojourn, which means not a permanent dwelling, just a sojourn. And he's going where? To stay Moab. Now, before we get to the state part, before we get to the fields part, let's talk about Moab. Who is Moab? The mortal enemy of Kali Yisrael. What does the Pesukim tell us? We're in the desert, we have no food, we show up in Moab, and what does Moab say? We're not giving you any bread. These are selfish people, they're our mortal enemies, we are not supposed to marry Moabite men. Because they're selfish people, and Claudius Yisrael prides itself on being a selfless nation. So we know it's a bad time, and a bad thing happened, and they have arrived, and here's a man who seems to be of noble descent, but we don't know who he is, he's anonymous, we don't know why, he comes from Beis Lechem Yehuda, and he joins the enemy. But he goes to the fields, not to the cities. The Medrash picks up on the sensitivity. The Medrash tells us that this man originally went to the fields, and they had plenty of food in the fields, and he was hungry, he was trying to save his family, there was no food in Eretz Yisrael. But there was immorality in the fields of Moab, and he said, it's not a place for me to raise my family, I can't raise my family in the fields of Moab where people are doing terrible things. So he went to the city, but in the city there was no water, so he makes the decision to go back to the fields. What does this tell you about this man? He's not so great. He is someone who's abandoning Klal Yisrael in their time of need. He's someone who goes to the fields of Moab, he has a moral code. 
He says, no, I got to get out of the fields. I go to the city. But in the end, I can't really make it in the city. There's not water there. So he comes back to the fields and he says, I will raise my children in an immoral place, but in a place that has abundance. I promise you this is not a Muslim schmooze. If you hear it as a Muslim schmooze, that's up to you. It's an interesting Muslim schmooze to listen to. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying anything. If you know what I'm saying, anything. But it's an interesting decision to say, I want to raise my family in a place of abundance, but not necessarily a place that has the highest moral code. This is what this man makes the decision. Who comes with him? Who? Ve'ishto Ushnebanov. We don't know who any of these people are. If we don't know who any of these people are, it must mean they're not important. It must mean they're not important. But, something special happened in this Pasuk that I skipped. And I skipped it on purpose because I want to show you the drama of one phrase in this Pasuk that only occurs one other time in the entire Torah. We say, Vayelech Ishmi Beislechem Yehuda. Does anyone know a place, of course you do, you had a wonderful education. Does anyone know another place in the Torah where it says, Vayelech Ishmi Beis? Excellent, this is wonderful. See, when you're teaching in the Boise, she was like, I don't know, it's not a Gemara, is it? So you learn Tanakh, you learn the Torah, it's a beautiful thing. And you'll notice, as the Balaturim points out, that there are only two times in the entire Torah, this is one of them, that it says, Vayelech Ishmi Beis. It says, Vayelech Ishmi Beis Lady. What's the story there? We all know the story. We can say it quickly. Amram had divorced Yocheved. Why did Amram divorce Yocheved? Because he said, any children that are born of this marriage might be killed by Paro. Better for us to divorce our wives than bring children into the world who will be killed. Miriam says to her father, you're worse than Paro. We all know the story. We all went to the Seder. That's one of the directors that gets said by every single third grade Rebbe. So we learned about it when we were young. And he comes back, and from that union, Moshe Rabbeinu was born in his redemption. Here, it seems to be the exact opposite. This is not a man who's coming back to Klal Yisrael. What is this? This is a man who's abandoning Klal Yisrael. So we have seems to be going in the exact opposite direction of is an awesome story of heroism, of Amram remarrying Yocheved and Moshe Rabbeinu being born. Vayelech ish mi beis lechem Yehuda seems to be some nobleman in Klal Yisrael leaving Eretz Yisrael to go to Moab, and yet somehow, as we'll soon see, they are juxtaposed. Another word that people only know because of art scroll. And I learned that one after. They didn't teach me that. We continue on next pasuk. V'shem ha'ish Elimelech. If you're writing the Torah, if you're writing the Megillah, how would you have written this? You would never have written it this way. If you're going to introduce to us the character that a moment ago was anonymous, why in the very next Pasuk do you tell us his name? And also it's a strange lashon of the Pasuk. Listen to the words of the Pasuk. V'shem ha'ish Elimelech. The name seems to be important. The name of the man was Elimelech. V'shem ishto na'ami. And the name of his wife was na'ami. V'shem shnebanov machlon v'kilion. And the names of his two children were machlon v'kilion. Ephratiyami beis lechem Yehuda. They were Ephratites from beis lechem Yehuda. We'll see what that means in a minute. Vayavau stemoa v'yiyushan. Let's go through again the words of the Pasuk. V'shem ha'ish Elimelech. The Medrash points out, what does the word Elimelech mean? Eli Melech. This was a person who was not only, a moment ago we knew he was from Beis Lechem Yehuda, we knew he was noble. Now what do we know about him? This was a guy who was meant to be the king of Klal Yisrael. So this wasn't just a regular abandonment in the times of a famine. Who was it? 
It was the guy they thought was going to lead them, the guy they thought was going to save them. Imagine, I mean, today you could probably imagine it, but you know there was a president whose name was Richard Nixon? Yeah. You've heard of him? And you know, like, in the middle he just goes, I'm out, and he quit. Like, <laughs> done being president. It's hard for us to imagine such a thing. I mean, today maybe we could imagine it. It's a strange type of thing. We don't exactly understand what's happening with the presidency. Certainly politics here in Israel, we have no idea what's going on. You've seen some of what happened this year, so you understand that Israeli politics can be complicated. Imagine this man, Eli Melech, the future king of Klai and he gets up there and he goes, peace, I'm going see ya. What's the feeling that Klai must have had in that moment? We're being abandoned by leadership. That's not a good feeling. And not only that, the Gemara in Baba Basra 91b tells us that who is this man, Eli Melech? He's a descendant of none other than Nachshon ben Aminadav. Nachshon ben Aminadav seems to be the exact opposite of Eli Melech. Nachshon ben Aminadav is also in an impossible situation. Standing at Kriyas Yamsuf, he doesn't know what's going to be. The Egyptian <laughs> army is coming. Nachshon ben Aminadav says, I'll lead you through this. So if you are Klal you know your history, and you're looking at the grandchild of Nachshon ben Aminadav, and you say, I'm in an impossible situation right now, what do you do? You look to this guy, Eli Melech, and you say, you're going to get us out of this, right? You're going to be the one to fix this. If we have a famine in the land, you have to be the one to tell us how we leave. So Eli Melech, the monarch, the future monarch of Klal he abandons ship, and he has a wife. Girls, if we look at her name, she seems to be a very good Beis Yaakov girl, no? Or Hadai. She, uh, <laughs> you want to be all inclusive. Or SK. Yeah, or Fruria. Or, I'm not going to stop now, yeah? We, we all know she's a good girl. She's naive. She's pleasant. But when you actually unpack that word, maybe not so good. Because Jewish women throughout history, when men make bad decisions, what do they do? They save them. How do they save them? Can I tell you what it looks like? I'm a married man. I've been married for over 20 years. That's not like it. <laughs> I, I want you to know I appreciate it. But first of all, I'm going to teach you something. In the Gaiusha world, they don't do this. Like if you go to an office outside of the Jewish world, if you're on Wall Street, you're like working somewhere, or like you're doing physical therapy, or speech therapy, or occupational therapy, or, or water therapy, which just means you're being a lifeguard, or athlete. If you're doing one of those therapies, and you're in a Jewish environment, and somebody like bends their leg, and you go, Psh, they will understand that. But if somebody on Wall Street comes, you just made a huge deal, and you go, Psh, they don't know what that sound means. That's a uniquely Jewish sound. That's number one. Also, in your life, you have to choose the right moments to do that. <laughs> I raise my kids. <laughs> You're supposed to raise your kids. What are you talking about? Right? You know, like, I've been married. It's, it's, you got you to be careful with that. You know, it's like girls say I'm mean to everything. What? Girls, I want to I wish in your lives that you get married to the best of your And all these girls like, oh, man. You hate me, Robin. Calm down. It's just words. Relax. It's going to be okay. So I have been married for over 20 years. No psh required. And... Although half the time, you know, maybe my wife would be here, she would go, oh, actually, kind of a shizzer. It's <laughs> <laughs> not so simple. So, I, I know I was saying something. Oh, yeah. So, you know how wives help Jewish husbands? This is what it sounds like. You know, I, I think I'm going to do this. And she goes, maybe we should consider all the options. That's what my wife does. And I want you to know something. 
we men, we know your species very well. And I want you to know that we know what you are doing. You'll do this, God willing, very soon in your lives. Amen. Excellent job. <laughs> Should I do this in yeshiva? And the guy's like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I assume everyone's going to want to marry me because I'm awesome. Okay. <laughs> Just joking. All the boys in the bus are awesome. But, the, but some are balagai. All are balagai. All men are balagai. So, <laughs> not the ones in Abayat, those boys are <laughs> Yeah. So, we know what you're doing. We know, I know that when my wife goes, maybe cut them smaller. I know what she means. It's to cut them smaller. I, I, I make meatballs. When I say I make meatballs, I mean I make the balls of the meat that my wife has already made and the sauce that my wife has already made, and I take the little ball and I put them in the meatball. So, I, you know one of the major differences between men and women is the size of meatballs. Do you know this? Boys want, I, I want my meatball to be a hamburger. That's what I want. And I noticed that women like smaller meatballs because you get overwhelmed why are you overwhelmed by food? I have no idea. The women seem to get overwhelmed by the size of meatballs. This seems to be an important thing. So my wife gently says to me, every time I make meatballs, she goes, maybe smaller this time? I go, sure. And then every time it comes out of the pot, she's like, ridiculous. It's like one giant meatball coming out of the pot. I know. Where was Nami? Elimelech is making a horrific decision. The morale of Klal Yisrael is going down the tubes. He's leaving. Where's Naomi going? Maybe we should consider all our options. But she was Naim. She was a pleasant person. And being a pleasant person is not always a strength. You know that Edelmadel girl that they try to make you out to be, even though you're not really that person, but you feel like you have to be that person? I don't understand when it became a thing that girls have to develop a hunch. Why do you have to walk around like this in order to be thrown? It's not a thing. It's not a thing. I, but it says in the garrison and bank, that's not what it means. I want you to know, many years ago, I was in yeshiva, and there was a guy in yeshiva, he was a member of the Kohel. He's a tremendous Tamachachim. Now he's sat in the Kohel for over 20 years. I was so jealous of this guy. He was a cool guy. He went to Ramaz. He had long, I saw a picture of him. He had long blonde hair before he became from. He was a cool Ramaz guy. And when I came from Mavasaret, he was in the Kohel of Mavasaret, and I looked up to this guy. I said, I want to be like Adam. Adam is the most edel, natal little girl you've ever met. <laughs> and he would walk around and like he would like, you know, he had like a nice little hunch, you know, and he's like walking around and I'd see him and say, Good morning, Adam. He'd go, Good morning. And he's like always smiling. I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be like Adam. So I was walking around the yeshiva one time and I was doing my little Adam impression, you know, and I'm like walking slow steps like the Ramban says, and the mashkiach of the yeshiva saw me from the window and he goes, Burr! Get up here now! So I'm like, uh, I'm stuck, so I'm like walking like... <laughs> I don't have to take fast pace, and he's screaming, run! So I don't know what to do. Now I have Kavanah Tyra on the one hand, but I have the Garrison Ramban on the other. In the end, I remembered on the five times kid, so I just took off. And, and I came to the base Medrash, and I sat down with the Mashkiach, and he looks at me, and he goes, you're not Adam. <laughs> so I said to him, but aren't I supposed to be? And he looks at me like I was the biggest doofus in the world, which I was. And he's like, no, of course not. You're a normal person. He's not a normal person. <laughs> he sat and learned by himself in his house with no batala for 20 plus years. 
The man is an insane lamdin, an insane genius, an insane masmid. I get up and tell jokes for a living. We're not going to be the same. You don't have to be that girl. She was naim, she was pleasant, she was told in her life, be a pleasant person. But nobody told Naomi in her life, maybe when you see a terrible thing happening, maybe that's not the time to be so pleasant. And they have these children, Machlon and Kilion. Machlon and Kilion also aren't great. What does the word Machlon mean? Why would you know that? It's based on a Medrash in Rus. There's no reason for you to know that. The name, Mal, Mal, the name Machlon means to be erased. The name Kilion means to be eradicated. Not good names for children. If you choose, if you have a child, Be'ez Hashem, very soon, and he's a boy, much, do not name. There's a, there's a list of things. Don't name Nimrod. It's a popular Israeli name. My brother-in-law is a Moel. And he like sometimes does these like grissom for people that aren't observant, and they're like, Bikarish Mobi so they're like Nimrod. He's like, let's take a second to think of it. <laughs> Maybe Nimrod's not the best name for a child. Machlon and Kilion, not the best name for children. Don't worry, wasn't their real name. In Divrei Ayamim, it tells us that their names were Yoash and Saraf. Not better. Yoash means to be have total yish, total abandonment of the Torah, and Saraf means to burn the Torah itself because ultimately these children didn't end up so good. Either way, all bad names. These are the people we're introduced to, and what do we know about them? They leave from Beis Lechem Yehuda, but there's a diuk in the pasuk that you have to know. Vayavou stay Moab vayiushan. Up until now they were sojourners, and now. They are Yavos. They came. Vayiyusham. What changed? When they came to the fields of Moab, they settled in. They assimilated. You know the, uh, you know that like a whole seminary conversation. I'm sure some of you are having it right around now. It's the where I want to raise my family conversation, and I'm nervous. I, all of you are unique. I promise you. Every single one of you is your own individual, and you should celebrate that individuality. But also. We're all the same, right? And it's that time of year where people are going, I'm just afraid that if I go back to America, I'm going to get stuck there, and I really don't want to get stuck there. I really saw so many values this year that I really admire, and I don't necessarily want to raise my kids and stay Moab, so I want to be here in Israel, right? Oof, that was rough. That was uncomfortable. We're going to get through this together, yeah? So, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to go as a Lagur. I'm going to end up being a Vayavo. I'm going to go as a sojourner. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Stern. I'm going to get my MRS. And then I'm going to come back to Eretz Yisrael. I'm going to live on Paran. My husband's going to learn in Gross or the Mir or some combination of both. Because he's from, but he's normal. Right? So he's a learner, earner, earner, learner. He comes from a good family. The main thing is his parents had Shalom Bias, right? So you've heard this from us before. So I told you the later it gets, the crazier it gets. There's no filter on this thing. So, Vayavosham, and they are there. That's the story of this family. Bad story so far. We continue on. Vayamas Elimelech. You ever see the movie Up? Yeah, that's what it is. You ever see the movie Up? You're not allowed to admit it. But you saw the movie Up? On a plane. We'll make it longer. On a plane. It's a cartoon. I'm not going to lie to you. I hate the movie Up. But I will... If, if it's on a plane, if it's on on a plane, I will watch the first five minutes and cry like a baby in public. I watch the first five minutes of Up, and it's so beautiful. This child, a couple, and they grow old together, and it's like amazing, and they have this life, but unfortunately they never have kids, and then she dies, and I'm sitting there in the premium section of El Al like a child. Oh, that is so sad, right? And my, the people sitting next to me are like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm going to turn it off after the first five minutes. I thought the story of Rus was about 
Elimelech. That's what it seems to be about. The guy who abandoned ship. The descendant of Nachshon ben Aminadov. Ephrati, he's royal, he's noble. He's from Beis Lechem Yehuda. Vayamas Elimelech. That character got killed off after two psukim. Who did the dun dun dun? Who did that? You have somebody from this side of the room? Whoever it was, I just want you to know, it's the exact soundtrack that I have in my head when I read this. Ooh, that's rough. And what is Elimelech at this point? He's no longer considered an Ephrati. He's no longer from Beis Lechem Yehuda. The Pasuk tells us exactly what he is. He's Ish Nami. The only thing you can say about him at this point in his life, he married Nami. Right? Not so much. It doesn't work out so well. You gotta know when to use that thing, yeah? So not a great story. And this is the word that's painful. Vatishar he ushnebanel. You know what the Medrash says? Naomi is now considered a remnant. She's Shirayan. And not the good Shirayan. Not like when you went to B'nai Brock and stayed in Vishnitz and saw like the Rebbe throwing apples and get like a little bit of Shirayan. This is the bad Shirayan. When you call somebody a remnant, that's not a good thing to call it. So Elimelech dies, what's Nami? She's a remnant. What's she left with? She's left with two kids. Remember, what did we say Nami's problem was? Nami's problem was she didn't speak up. She was too naive. Vayisu lehem nashim malavios. And now these two boys, Machlon and Kilion, they go and they marry Moabite women. Not Jewish women, not women that converted, not women that went to mikvah, Moabite women. Where was Nami? Can I tell you a cool story? Yeah. Totally tangential, but a 100% true story that finished this year in October. A boy came to NCSY Cola. I have permission to tell this story. A boy came to NCSY Cola many years ago. He was a boy who was from an out-of-town. Out-of-town means not from New York, New Jersey, for those that are not aware of our egocentricity. We believe that that's in town. Everywhere else is out-of-town. He came from outside of the tri-state area, and he was a boy who was not doing well in his Yiddishkeit. He was not necessarily Sabbath observant. He wasn't necessarily keeping kosher. He was an awesome baseball player, and he was applying to colleges, and he was getting baseball scholarships in the mail. He was running home pulling out the letters so his parents wouldn't see them. His parents are from people. He was really nervous his parents would find him. His parents convinced him to come on NCSY Colo. In NCSY Colo, we get close, and he says to me, Rebbe, how crazy would it be if I didn't go back for senior year? I was like, what do you got in mind? He said, I got in mind to go to Mivasaret. I said, he said, we got close over the summer. I'm really doing nothing back in high school. If I don't go to Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael now, I don't know that I'll ever make it. So I went to the Rosh Shiva Rav Isaacson. I said to Rav Isaacson, I said, what do you do? What do we do in this situation? He's not really a boy that's matim for the yeshiva, but I feel like it's a kind of Rav Isaacson says, Mordecai, it's your call. I said, all right, let's give it a shot. I come back to him. I say, dude, come to yeshiva. It's going to be awesome. We're going to get close. He comes to yeshiva. I wish I could tell you the story has a happy ending. It doesn't. He has a very up and down year. He's davening sometimes, not davening other times. He's really struggling. He's going through it. It comes to the end of the year, and I say to him, Sadik, maybe we should have a conversation about Shabbat Bet but maybe not in Mavasarit. He goes, I agree with you. Too much Gemara here. I hate Gemara. I can't stand Gemara. Gemara is the bane of my existence. Everything that I am in life is the opposite of Gemara. I don't think Mavasarit is the right place for me. I said, great, let's get you in another yeshiva. We get him to another yeshiva. You think this is going to be the positive end of the story. Finally, we got him to the right yeshiva. It's not. He leaves in January under difficult circumstances. He goes to college. Once he's in college, he doesn't go to a Division I college. He ends up going to YU. In YU, completely falls apart. No more Shabbos, no more kosher, no more anything, no more davening, no more tefillin. He gets a job, it doesn't matter what job was, he gets a job after college, it's 100% a true story. The job required him to be out all night long with his clients. All night long with your clients in New York City, girls, I have to tell you a secret, 
they probably weren't learning Gemara. This wasn't a Shavuos night type of experience. And he told me that in order to stay up all night, he had to do things to his body to make his body stay up all night. And then he would be up all day, up all night, up all day, up all night, up all day. He was going crazy out of his kalim. And he met a Hispanic girl, and he fell for her. And she's an awesome girl. She really is. She's an amazing girl. And he fell hard, and she fell hard for him. And they moved in together. And his, uh, his mom used to call me all the time. She would say, Berg, what do I do? He's not keeping Shabbos. I said, please don't fight him. She said, Berg, what do I do? He's not keeping kosher. I said, please don't fight him. She said, he's not putting on tefillin. I said, please don't fight him. Mom calls me up and she says, they're going to get married. And I know you always tell me not to fight, but I have to fight. I said, no, no, no. The whole reason we didn't fight Shabbos and kosher and tefillin and all those things was so that we could have this fight. You got to know sometimes you got to retreat and retreat and retreat until you're ready to have that fight. This is the fight. She calls in her son and she says to her son, I love you. If you marry this girl, it will kill me. I cannot have Gentile grandchildren. I can't do it. can't do it. He doesn't know what to do. He calls me up. He goes, Rebbe, what do I do? I'm like, look, <laughs> it's hard for me to be supportive in this type of situation. I'm Jewish. I believe in Judaism. I think this is a really bad thing. But I think the important question for you to ask is what do you believe about Judaism? Was, How far are you really willing to take this? He calls me back two weeks later. He goes, I broke up. I said, wow, why'd you do that? So he said, you know, turns out my Judaism does mean something to me. And he starts making moves in his life. Come back, a little bit of Shabbos, a little bit of kosher, a little bit of davening. Slowly but surely, he's on his way back. And then he gets a phone call from this wonderful young Hispanic woman. And she says, I just can't. Like, we were supposed to get married. What happened? He's like, my Judaism means something to me. She goes, you know, I've been looking into it. Judaism seems pretty awesome. Now, at this point in the story, you're probably hearing what? Yeah, okay, roll your eyes. Exactly, I roll my eyes also. It's a very <laughs> subtle judgment that we have. It's like, it's like it's a very tiny little judgment. We don't get a psh for this one. It's a tiny little judgment. Yeah, she doesn't really care about her Judaism. She just wants to marry this guy. He calls me up. He goes, Rebbe, what do you think? I'm like, look, dude, it's got to be a real conversion. If it's not a real conversion, what are we talking about? He calls up a rabbi in the city. The rabbi happens to be a friend of mine. It's pretty uncomfortable. He comes from a segment of perhaps the Orthodox community that I would not recognize that conversion. And he says, we're going to go through this guy. The rabbi calls me up and he goes, Mordechai, great to hear from you. I'm lying to you. He didn't call me Mordechai. He called me Matt. I grew up as Matt Burke. He calls me Matt. He goes, Matt, how you doing? Oh, you know, I met this guy, girl, great girl. And I'm like thinking in my head, like cringe, like, ah, you got to do it real. This is not real enough, right? But I'm not saying anything. It's uncomfortable. And the girl calls me up and she goes, Rabbi, this doesn't feel like a real conversion. I want to do it real. I don't do like hardcore, straight orthodox. So I'm like, okay. Good for you. And she, in her community, I won't tell you which one, Philadelphia, she goes in her community, she starts learning with a rabbi, this is 100% a true story, and she starts getting seriously stark, and she's getting really into Yiddishkeit, to the point where she is outpacing this young man who grew up as an Orthodox Jew. And they go the big day to get the conversion. They're getting, their, they're getting converted through the Besan of New York. And I get a phone call from the head of the Besan of New York, the Rosh Besan of the Besan of New York. And he says to me, Rabbi Berg, is it true that you speak to this young man every single week? I said, it's true. Every single week, we wish each other a good Shabbos. We've done so for almost 10 years. Even when he wasn't keeping Shabbos, we wished each other a good Shabbos every single week. Definitely feel like he's a very close Talmud. He goes, we were blown away by this girl. The main thing is that they have a community. She clearly has a community. We weren't so sure about him. But if you're vouching for him, that you have a real relationship with him, we'll do the conversion. They went ahead. They did the conversion. Three weeks later, they were engaged. During the engagement, the father of the chassan and the mother of the chassan go to Philadelphia for Shabbos so that they can have a nice Shabbos together. This is the story the father tells me. Shabbos morning, this 
young, now Jewish, Hispanic girl. She's in the middle of preparing deli sandwiches for Shabbos lunch. She opens up the pickle jar, and then she walks over to the sink, and she washes Natil's yadayim. And the father looks at her and he goes, what are you doing? She goes, well, the pickles that I'm about to cut are in liquid, and it says in Mishnah Buruh, based on the Seder that I have every single day, that before you touch vegetables in liquid, you should wash Natil's yadayim. So he's like, it's not Karpas. Like, who does that? <laughs> who actually does that? This girl was Mamish Stark. I flew in and surprised them on the day of their wedding. The father, the father and the mother of the Hassan flew me in. This girl looked like the frumest based Yaakov girl ever. She looked Amish. The, 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 <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. They're a frum family today. Kashra, Shabbos, everything. They're serious. In fact, by the chuppah, the Rav who was Masada Kedushan, who was her rabbi from Philadelphia, under the chuppah, he looks at her and he goes, just remember, it's okay to go at your pace but make space for Jordan to catch up to. And I'm like, oh, this is bizarre. This is like the most bizarre chasm I've ever been at. Why? Because there was a mother that said, please don't marry Gaia. Where is Nami? Where is Nami? Machlon and Kilion are marrying Moabite women. They're marrying the enemy, the most selfish nation in the history of the world. Where's Nami? She's too pleasant. She doesn't say anything. And not only that, Says, we're not going to get into the meaning of Arpa and Rus right now. We could, but we're short on time. And they went, if you're, if you're listening to the words of the Pasuk, they started off as sojourners. Then it was Vayu, it's going to become a permanent dwelling. Now they're Vayeshu. Totally assimilated. The girls, the Moavite girls, have married her Jewish sons. Story over? No. Don't worry, it gets worse. Vayamusu we kill off two more characters. Machlon and Kilion are now dead. Vatishar ha'isha mishnei yaldeha u'me'isha. And the Medrash says now Nami is not just a remnant. She's a remnant of a remnant. She's shirayim me'shirayim. She's a remnant of a remnant. She has nothing left in her life. Who's the main character of our story at this point? It's no longer Elimelech. It's no longer Machlon and Kilion. The main character in the story the main character, and you always like look to see who it is, and then you like, has a big like, it's okay, it happens. It's me. I didn't even know my ringer was on. And it's still on. If they call back, an awkward moment will happen again. Yeah? She's the main character, and she is a remnant of a remnant. Not a good story. Before I read the final Pasuk, we have like five minutes left? Ten? Before I read the final Pasuk, I want to tell you a story. It's a quick story, it's a true story. It's not an amazing story, but it's an amazing story to me. I mentioned already that I was expelled from half during fifth grade. No, no, it's, like, yeah, it's fine, don't worry. I went to a camp, anyone here from the Five Towns? Yeah. You know a camp, Simcha Day camp? It's like, not exactly a Tara, but something, yeah? Okay, so I went to Simcha Day Camp before a Tara. Simcha Day Camp, this is like, this is like the bad history of the yeshivish community of Farakwe. It was a co-ed camp. <gasps> Terrible, I know. Nobody ever spoke to the girls. They made it like, a, you know how like they do the separate but equal camp thing, where they're like, okay, the girls are on campus, the boys are on campus, but never the twain shall meet. And they like convince themselves that it's never gonna happen because they put up a fence and then they put up like a tarp around the fence that nobody will ever see. And they strategically position that the boys are on one side of the campus when the girls are going to the other side of the campus. The problem is, 
they didn't know about the nurse's office. I was a nurse's office man. I remember the first day of camp, I said to the counselor who I was working with, I was a JC, he was a counselor, this guy Ellie Englander, I went over to Ellie and I said, Ellie, if any kids get dehydrated or hurt themselves this summer, it's important that I be the one to bring them to the nurse's office. And Ellie says to me, Matt, as a counselor, it is my responsibility to make sure that these kids are well cared for. If a kid gets hurt, it is my responsibility to go to the nurse's office. I said to Ellie, Kvodo b'mkomo munach. I didn't know those words, it's a lie, yeah? I said, with all due respect, you're the counselor, you've got to be with the bunk. I have to go to the nurse's office. And the woman who worked in the nurse's office was like one of those, like, kind of yeshivish, kind of modern women, so she like was officially against it, but she kind of liked that her office was the place where all the shit was happening. So I met a girl in the nurse's office, and I, I was so mocked to help those campers, and I, I want you to know, if they were rushing back to go to the activity, I said, God, we have to stay here for a while. We have to make sure you're okay. And that was our place. The nurse's office was our place. And this whole summer, great summer, best summer of my life, I basically figured out how to do no work and just be in the nurse's office hanging out with this girl. The next summer, I come back to camp, and we, I stayed in touch with this girl the entire year. This is the days before, sliding into people's DMs or swiping left or swiping right. I, I worked hard at this. I picked up the phone and pushed buttons. Not buttons on the screen, actual buttons. I made time for a phone call to talk. And the girl wasn't there the following summer. I was so disappointed. And I found out that the reason she wasn't hired back was because of me. Somebody in the upper staff said, of course, Elisa didn't get hired back. She hung out with you all summer. So I stormed in. You guys you know Richie Altaby, who's the, uh, now he's the principal of Al? <laughs> Richie Altaby used to be the principal of Darche, and he was the head of Simcha Day Camp. Somebody here knows Richie Altaby? You like yeah. Richie Altaby? You're a big fan of Richie Altaby? You like Mrs. Altaby? Lisa Altaby to me. Richie and Lisa. These are family friends. I marched myself into Richie Altaby's office. I threw open the door and I said to him, did you really not hire Elisa back because of me? And he looks at me in only the way that Richie Altaby can. He gets that look on his face. If you know him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's like bobbing his head. He's got a head bob thing. He starts bobbing his head. He looks at me and he goes, Matt, it was her or you, and I chose you. Are you really going to be upset at me? I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, but I wanted her here this summer. He goes, but you did no work last summer. And he like, destroyed the camp last summer. I couldn't have both of you back. Richie Altaby told over that story at my Ufruf when I was engaged to Elisa. <laughs> I told you. I told you. For 20 years, you use it when, even though Richie Alvey tried to break me up, I stuck with it. I'm only married 20 years just to prove to Richie that it was worth it. I would have left years ago. The, um, why do I tell you this story? First of all, because it's a cool story, right? It's not a from story, but it's a cool story. No, don't worry, we had somebody set us up when I came. We both winked at somebody and said, Could you set us up? It was very, 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 very official. I'm sure your shit will not be like that at all. The, uh... <laughs> you don't say I'm into anything. So, I'll tell you why I tell that story. I don't know if you girls know, and this is a little serious, I don't know if you girls know what it's like to get expelled in fifth grade. You've a lot of girls. None of you have done anything wrong in your entire life. 
There's some seminaries where I speak at, and it's like, yeah, we know that. So like, I got thrown out in third grade. And they're like, okay, go say that. You win. So when you get thrown out in fifth grade, that's not a good feeling for a little kid to have. That's a feeling of rejection. If you're a hafter kid that gets thrown out, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Help doesn't run after you to recruit. <laughs> at the time, in the five towns, there were only four schools. There was hafter, help, South Shore, and Darche. I didn't want to go to South Shore. Kids I knew in South Shore were weirdos. <laughs> but I certainly wasn't going to go to Darche. My father was the president of the Syndicated Network Television Association. Rabbi Bender gave schmoozen against television. How in the world was this going to work? And my parents decided they would send me to Darche. And Rabbi Bender took me in, and Mr. Altaby took me in. And every summer, Richie gave me a job. And every summer, no matter how badly I messed up, Richie stuck with me. And when he had to make a choice in my life, me or Eliza, he chose me, and he said it by my offer, and I want you to know, there's a lie that they tell you. You have to learn to love yourself before you can love another. That's a lie. And the reason I'll tell you, it's an important lie, because you didn't learn to love yourself. You didn't learn to love yourself. You weren't three years old and you like, had affirmations. You didn't have, somebody told me today, they're like, yeah, I'm really working on myself. I downloaded an app, and it has 12 daily affirmations. I'm like... Does that work? Like, you, like an app tells you you're awesome and you go, I guess I am. No, like, there was a Saturday Night Live skit back in the day where a guy stood in front of a mirror and he said, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If, is that, if that's what you need to get yourself like going, you really have some serious issues. You didn't love yourself into being. You had parents, you had teachers, you had counselors, you had head counselors, division heads. There were people in your life that made space for you and that told you, even if you really mess up, we still love you. You're still, you're still here. You're still fine. Listen to the next pasuk, and we'll finish with this. And it's a bombshell of a pasuk. Vatakam hi Naomi gets up. Gets up doesn't mean she stood up from her chair. Gets up means she was broken. She was fallen. She had lost everything. She's the remnant of a remnant. She knows that she has to take some level of responsibility because she wasn't the wife or the mother that she should have been. And she gets up with her daughter-in-laws. That's serious business. That means the girls she's most embarrassed of, she gets up with them. She returns from the fields of Moab to Eretz Yisrael. Could you imagine walking back into town? Girls, our community, Baruch Hashem, is a lot of things, but one thing that we could be a little bit better at is judgmentalism. Could you imagine if you're in your young Israel, and a woman who's left the community, let's say it was the Rebbitzin of the community, comes back to shul with her two Gayasha daughter-in-laws, I think a lot of people would be like this. You knew that we do the non-judgmental, judgmental. We only tell one person. Listen, I'm, I didn't speak that with a lot of people. I just spoke about one person. Did you see her come back? Oh my gosh, that was crazy, right? Do you know how much courage it takes to come back into a situation like that? To walk back into Eretz Yisrael with your two daughter-in-laws on your arms? It's a recognition. My, my, my husband, the future king, abandoned you. My children married Goyim, but I'm coming back. That takes insane amounts of courage in the face of incredible vulnerability. Listen to the next words. Ki pakad Hashem es amo lahem lech. What allowed Nami to come back? It wasn't because the famine ended. It was because she recognized that Hashem gave Klal Yisrael a feeling of belonging. Pakat means an act of chesed. Klal Yisrael wasn't doing better. They had not done tshuva. But ki pakat Hashem es amo means Hashem said, yeah, but they're my kids. They're my nation. 
I'm not going to throw him out. I'm not going to get rid of him. And he gives them bread. And the feeling that Nami has is, ah, so Hashem really does love us. So even when we do mess up, we can always come back. And we're always invited back. So she comes back. You know, there's a thing today in the world, and people are starting to make fun of it, and it's sad, that if a speaker gets up here and he says, Hashem loves you, it's like, okay, thank you, Hashem. You know, like, let's, we'll put it on a status, MKY, right? Thank you, Hashem. It's become this cliche, kitschy thing. It's not. It's not. Raising children, the gift that you can give them is that they are unconditionally loved even if they're in their worst moments. You give them that sense of belonging. There are people in your life that loved you into being. They said no matter how far you go, no matter the worst thing that you've done, you could still come here. You're still a part of us. That's an amazing thing. It gave Nami the courage to return. Remember, girls, there were two movements of redemption. Vayelach Ishmi Beis Levi, Vayelach Ishmi Beis Lechem Yehuda. Two opposite movements, right? But both gave birth to Mashiach. Vayelach Ishmi Beis Levi, Moshe Rabbeinu was born from Amram returning to Yocheved. And even though Elimelech said, I'm abandoning Klal Yisrael, and even though my children will marry Goyim and everybody will die, but ultimately that movement away from Hashem is also a movement towards Hashem. It just takes time. It just takes time until we come back. We asked, and we'll finish with this, the famous question in the very beginning, what does it got to do with Shavuos? Shavuos was a failure. Shavuos was a tremendous failure. No? Shavuos, we got the Torah, right? Forty days later, worst moment in the history of Klal Yisrael. It's like if your husband cheated on you during Sheva Brachus. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Do not have any other gods. Forty days later, there's a giant... Egel being built on the bottom of the mountain, and Klal Yisrael is celebrating its worship, and Moshe Rabbeinu throws down the luchos. Lowest moment in the history of Klal Yisrael. Why do we read Rus on Shavuos? Perhaps the answer is because any sensitive Jew on Shavuos is thinking to himself, or herself, or themselves. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> any sensitive Jew is thinking, why are we celebrating this? Celebrate some Chastoros, celebrate Yom Kippur. That's when we got the Luchos Hashniyos. Why are we celebrating the ones that are the Shirayim, the remnants, the Shivrei Luchos that sit in the arm? The answer is because we know It doesn't matter how far we fall, HaKadosh Baruch is always with us. That's the greatest gift we can give to ourselves, to our husbands, to our children, to our communities. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to be here. And I want to wish you an amazing summer. And that's Hashem a great remainder of your year. Thank you so much. That was an